Hello everyone, my name is Allison and I'm here with Charles and this is the first episode of the Faith Misunderstood podcast brought to you by the River Church in New York City. If you're listening live, welcome. Uh, we'd love if you would comment in the chat right now and let us know where you're listening from. So Charles, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what this podcast is all about. Hi. Um... It's good to be here. My name is Charles. I'm the lead pastor of the River Church in New York. Uh, I've been the pastor here for almost 20 years. And uh, this podcast is about trying to provide uh, refreshing perspectives for very difficult questions. We've all had uh, difficult questions about faith, about life, about God. And oftentimes, uh, we are reluctant to ask these questions in churches, uh, to pastors, because sometimes these questions are so hard, it seems kind of rude or impolite to ask this. Uh, questions like, if there is a good God, why do bad things happen to good people? It's kind of sometimes, uh, you know, people feel nervous asking questions like that in church. But I feel like, where else would you be uh, able to ask such questions, really? Uh, so I think these are questions that should be asked in church settings. And, and I've been thinking about stuff like this for a very long time, being a pastor. So that's what this is about, trying to elicit questions from you if you have such questions, feel free to email us, uh, respond to YouTube uh, channel, and we'll try to see if we can have a, a, a perspective on that. So the tagline for this podcast is Impossible Questions, Refreshing Perspective. So tell us a little bit about what that means. Yeah, that's, you know, some questions are impossible to answer. Uh, predestination versus free will, what does the Bible say, uh, suffering, uh, question of evil, uh, these are impossible questions really. There can be no real answer like one plus one is two, but there can be some refreshing perspective that uh, perhaps is not commonly thought of that can kind of give us intellectual satisfaction, at least a framework to think about things as we approach faith and life. So that's what we are trying to do with this podcast. Awesome. So every week we're going to tackle a different topic, and today's topic is sin. So if you are listening, if you have any questions about sin and you want us to answer it, please just send those in right now into the chat, um, and we'll do our best to address them. So we've had some people submit some questions through email and Instagram in advance, and so our first question today comes from Stephanie. And Stephanie wants to know, what is sin, and how does the Bible define sin? That's such a great question. So sin is a topic that people think about a lot, and it's hard to really get a, a, a clear understanding. Everybody has some vague understanding of sin. And so what does the Bible say and what is sin? I think uh, the way that I think about it, uh, there are two major perspectives on sin uh, throughout history, through Christian faith and tradition. How does the Bible view sin? There are two ways that two major schools of thought on that. 
that I like to kind of talk about here. Uh, I think the one that a lot of people are used to seeing sin from, the usual perspective is uh, sin is breaking of some kind of code. And so the Bible can be viewed as like a book of code. Uh, like there is a heavenly way of doing things. There is a heavenly code. And violating this code is sin. Um, so for example, uh, Plato's cave. So it's not just uh, about Christianity. Throughout history, people have uh, had this view of code from east to west. So in Greco-Roman tradition, Plato's cave talked about this ideal way of being beyond the cave. We are all in a dark cave. But beyond the cave, there is a real ideal world or reality. And there is a, a, a perfect code of uh, conduct or being a, a, a way of being a being. Like even a chair, there's a perfect form of chair. There's a perfect form of being male. There's a perfect form of being female. And that we, our job in life is to try to uh, strive towards it. Uh, or Confucius. And there's a heavenly way of doing things. There's a heavenly ideal. And there's an order and a way of doing things in every aspect of life, every second of the day, how to structure ourselves, how to conduct ourselves. There's a code. And in Judeo-Christian or biblical uh, understanding, you know, Bible can be viewed as a book full of code. Like Ten Commandments is a code. The Torah has these uh, uh, laws, and that's a code. And so breaking these things would be sin. And that's, a, that's how a lot of people think of sin. The interesting thing that people sometimes forget is that Jesus really challenged that view of sin. Uh, Jesus didn't seem to be a fan of that kind of view towards sin. Uh, so Sabbath is a very uh, famous example. Sabbath is the fourth in the Ten Commandments, very important. Fourth in ranking in terms of importance of the code. And so the people who were people of the Bible, people of the church, people of God at the time were very uh, uh, zealous and passionate about keeping this code and breaking the Sabbath was a major sin. But Jesus went around breaking the Sabbath, it seems, willy-nilly. And his perspective was that it's not about code. Uh, a famous quote from him is that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the code is supposed to serve human interest, that all these rules are supposed to serve uh, what uh, leads to human thriving. Now, we're not to just blindly follow the code, but think about the principles behind the code and how it leads to human thriving. And so a couple of biblical quotes around that would be like agape, unconditional love. Uh, all the commands or all the code in the Bible is summed up in one principle, agape. This is from Romans 13. Uh, that agape does no harm. Therefore, every rule in the Bible is fulfilled by agape. I think that's a, a different perspective on sin. And it's really going towards the principle of what is sin. And that is anything that goes against unconditional love, anything that does harm, that's sin. 
And that seems to be what Jesus advocated. So if we go towards, since we are Christian church, <laughs> if we go with Jesus, and if we want to try to follow Jesus' view of sin, then we want to have the perspective of rooting or judging everything from the lens of agape. And does something do harm? Is something unconditional or conditional? Uh, these are the questions we have to ask when we ask if something is sin. And that's not something that a lot of people are used to doing. Is something conditional versus unconditional? That's not something a lot of people think about when they think about sin. But when we go to the beginning of the Bible and how the Bible defines original sin that brought on the fall of humanity, it talks about a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I think code-based thinking really connects to that tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we really do have to think about it in those terms, I feel. And I think that brings different answers to what is sin. Well, thank you. That was a very thorough answer. But I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about what is the difference between unconditional and conditional thinking. And so, what is the difference between unconditional and conditional thinking? This, uh, this is very interesting thought. Uh, there's a siren going on out there, so <laughs> I ask for your understanding. I'm sure it doesn't happen all the time, but it just happened to happen right now. Uh, so, I think the biblical definition of sin is very interesting because Genesis 3 uh, describes the first sin or the original sin or the, the, the sin that is the root of all sins that brought on the fall of humanity and the beginning of hell on earth. If the Bible were to be viewed like, a, if the Bible were a murder detective story, Genesis 3 is the murder. It sets up everything that comes after. So before Genesis 3, everything is great. After Genesis 3, we are, we are in East of Eden. We are out of the paradise. Uh, earth has fallen and all the problems we experience begins. And so Genesis 3 describes the beginning of all evil and sin and suffering on earth. And how it describes it is so interesting because it says that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was the problem. It caused everything bad in, in all of the universe. And you have to think for a moment, why is that such a big problem? Wouldn't you think that tree of knowledge of good and evil be a good thing? Wouldn't you want to know what is good and what is evil? In fact, the Hebrew word for good and evil here, you could just as well translate it as good versus bad, better or worse, flawed or perfect. Isn't it good to know what is good and evil? In fact, most people think of church and church's job as teaching people what is good and what is evil. And so you have to really like take a step back and kind of be surprised by what is the Bible trying to say here. Uh, I think this is one of the reasons why I love the Bible so much and think that there's something divine 
or there's a divine peeking through the Bible. Because if a human being was just trying to construct a religion, it's hard for me to like envision that someone will come around and say, I'm inventing a religion, and I want to say that the root problem is the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, that is very counterintuitive. Because most people will think that the first step towards solution is knowledge between good and evil. That to know what is good and what is evil is only good. But in fact, the Bible says that is the root of all sin. And so when we start thinking about that and taking a deeper look, what is the Bible trying to say what that is, tree of knowledge of good and evil? Well, the, the passage uh, tells us what happens, what is the fruit of or result of taking of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, there has been a lot of speculation about that. Uh, people think, well, Eve took this fruit, and in popular imagination, <laughs> it's often depicted, depicted as sort of forbidden fruit, like an apple or maybe some desire, like some sexual desire, maybe she cheated, uh, something salacious. Uh, the imagination runs wild. But the text itself tells us what it is by telling us what happens as the result of taking this fruit. And the result of taking this fruit is that the first thing that happens is that Adam and Eve, and in Hebrew it means the man, the man and the mother representing humanity, they look at themselves and they realize they are naked and they feel compelled to cover up. They find coverings made of fig leaves and they cover up because they see themselves as inadequate, or bad, or evil, or flawed in some way. In other words, the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, the first thing that happens is the fruit of knowledge of good and evil was applied to themselves. Before this, they were naked, they were, looking, they were able to look at themselves naked, transparent, and they were happy with who they are. But after this, they look and they are no longer happy. They feel like they have to cover up. Something is inadequate. They have judged themselves. They apply the tree of knowledge of good and evil to themselves and they come up short. And so conditional mindset, going back to that question, the conditional mindset is exactly that. You look at yourself and some condition make you feel insecure, inadequate. And you feel like you have to cover up and you need something to make yourself feel better. And this is where all kinds of sin then emerges, like pride, envy, lust, greed, all these cardinal sins that church has traditionally viewed as the mortal sins. Well, it comes from this sense that, that the hole in human being's heart that says, I need something more. I am not good enough as I am. And because it's about who you are, nothing is ever good enough. You can become very rich and very successful. But it's a, it's a rat race that will never stop because it's really about who you are. And so you just, people just keep going after things. Like, you know, why, put, why does Putin invade Ukraine? I mean, didn't he have enough as the czar of all Russia? But there is this conditional mindset in his mind that even being, having it that good, it's not good enough. And that's a hole in someone's heart. 
that comes from tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that kind of conditional mentality results in caste mentality, and it results in all kinds of problems in this world. And so that's conditional mentality. And against that stands tree of life, uh, in my opinion. And to us Christians, to me at least, I think the cross represents tree of life. And it represents unconditional approach to life, unconditional mindset. And that is grace extended to all human beings, no matter how flawed we are. And, and just declaring that we are all worth the life of God incarnate, no matter who we are. This is unconditional. This is agape. This is God's love that doesn't attach any conditions. Uh, so it's a, it's a grace mindset. And when you have that, then that can fill up the holes in your heart and that can kind of calm you down and that kind of counteracts the message of the world or the message of your unconditional mentality that leads us to sin. So another question is, how has sin been thought about in Christianity over time? Has it been thought about in different ways? Has it changed in different eras? What is the historical perspective on sin? Right. So the church has had different ideas of sin and has had a lot of historical uh, conflict between these two major perspectives. Is sin breaking a code or is sin about agape? I mean, you see this conflict even from the very beginning of church. So the very first church council that ever got convened is called Jerusalem Council. And you can read about it in the Bible in Acts 15. Uh, and it got convened because of this very issue. How do we view sin? Because all these uh, Gentiles or people who are not Jews, who are not familiar with Bible as code, were becoming Christians. And the question arose as to how much of these codes from the Bible uh, do we have to tell them to obey? How much of the Bible's rules do we need to uh, tell them they have to obey if they are to become Christian? So that's a church's view of sin as code. And so the whole council was convened because Pharisees in the church who represented the code-based view of the sin demanded that every convert must be required to follow every rule in the Bible. And the conclusion of that council was that no, uh, Christians don't have to follow the codes in the Bible at all except for four things. Only four rules, four codes, they concluded. And this was like all the apostles, all the uh, leaders of the church, they were together and guided by prayer and the Holy Spirit, they came up with this answer. They don't have, we don't have to, Christians don't have to follow any code in the Bible except for four codes. And that is one, refrain from sexual immorality. Don't eat meat strangled. Like if any animal was strangled, don't eat that meat. If any meat was sacrificed to idols, don't eat that. And if any meat has blood in it, don't eat that. Those are the four most important things 
that every Christian has to follow, everything else can go. That was their conclusion. <laughs> now I ask you, did that change over time or not? I think that has changed. <laughs> I don't see anybody like getting really worked up about rare steak. Is any of a Christian like boycotting steakhouses because they serve rare steak? I don't think so. What changed? Because back then, every Christian, all apostles agreed that rare steak was an abomination before God. That's in the Bible. And they wanted to keep to it. But we changed. We are no longer following that rule or that code. So that changed. Or, more importantly, uh, verses like slaves must obey their masters. This verse was used for 1,800 years by church to support slavery. And in fact, St. Patrick was called before the Inquisition for speaking against slavery. So, you know, that was considered sin to speak against slavery because it's in the Bible. You're going up against the Bible and its code. But in the last 200 years, that has changed profoundly. And nowadays, slavery is viewed as epitome of evil. And to speak for slavery would be an evil thing. What changed? The church changed its mind. Something that they stood on for 1,800 years changed. And so did the code change? The code didn't change. Did the Bible change? The Bible didn't change. But the way that we look at it has changed. How has that changed? Well, it went back to what we should have always done from the very beginning. Uh, that is, if we look at it from agape that I talked about at the beginning, Romans 13, agape does no harm. It is the fulfillment of every rule in the Bible. Does slavery do harm? It does harm, <laughs> right? And so it doesn't matter if you find some code in the Bible to support your position. Like women should not speak up in public. Women should submit to men. You can find these verses in the Bible and stand on them, but you shouldn't uh, take these passages and build a whole position on it if it goes against agape. If it goes against agape, then you are going up against Jesus, who fought against Sabbath, uh, keeping religious people of the Bible. It's the same thing. If we had always kept this view that agape should define what sin is, that's what the Bible is teaching us, then we would have been consistent from the very beginning. I think every issue, we would have been on the right side of history. Slavery, women's issues, uh, race rights, gender rights. I think we would have been going towards unconditional mindset, like there is no man or woman. Uh, Gentile or Jew, believer, non-believer, free or slave, in Christ Jesus. That is unconditional mindset, agape. That is going with the cross. So if we had gone with that, the church would not have changed its views on what is sin. Uh, but because there is always, it seems, the majority of the church at all times in history likes to view sin from the uh, code-based viewpoint, there has been a lot of flip-flopping over the history of church over time. And that's a shame. 
uh, that's a real shame. So another question about sin is kind of what do we make of this idea of sin nature? So some people talk about humans are inherently sinful, they tend towards sin. What do you kind of make of that perspective? How does that relate to agape? And so again, the answers are very different. If we look at it from code-based perspective on what sin is, and if we look at it from agape, and on conditional mindset versus tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, sin nature, if you look at it from, well, human beings are by nature are designed to break some code, rules. Uh, that's an interesting viewpoint. Yeah, human beings have a hard time keeping with all the code, but at the same time, human beings are drawn to code. Mm -hmm. and drawn to rules. There is a natural affinity that we really want to have rules. Um, and I think that's because of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. As the Bible would say, that human beings are naturally drawn to tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we start judging and ranking and ourselves, everybody else, reality, God. And so I think that is actually sin nature, if you look at it from that perspective, that we start judging and ranking people in, out, better, worse. And all kinds of bad things come from that. Like Nazi Germany used this myth of Aryan race to start ranking people and ended up committing Holocaust and killed six million Jews with support of otherwise normal German people. How were they able to do this? They were able to sell this as sort of like a ranking system. Um, and of course, in the United States, we've had this long history of racism, of being able to treat uh, darker-skinned people as slaves for 300 years or 200 years or whatnot. Um, based on skin color. That's conditional mindset. You can use some condition to start ranking people and start uh, doing horrific things. Uh, or in Confucian-based East Asian uh, culture, you can use all kinds of uh, better and worse kind of ranking system to do all kinds of horrific things. And so, yes, in some ways I think people have sin nature. We are drawn to caste mentality. We are drawn to tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we start doing things uh, based on it. We are compelled to cover ourselves up. And we are compelled to use some standard to make ourselves feel better uh, with some fig leaf of covering. And that causes rat race. Uh, that causes people to go after promotion after promotion, even if it doesn't do much better to improve your quality of life, we are driven. And that can cause all kinds of issues. Um, so if you look at it from that perspective, then I think, yeah, I think people have some nature. But I think that's also maybe not the usual term for it. I think mental health professionals would have different term for that kind of thing. 
And so I think we have a little bit of a different perspective on what sin nature might even mean to us. Uh, I believe Genesis 3 defines that sin nature uh, rather than what is commonly assumed, this, this desire to break some code. So we have a question from Ryan. Ryan wants to know, why do you think agape love deserves to be the central animating principle towards how we view sin? Why do I think agape should be the central principle view regarding sin? Great question. Thank you for asking. Well, I, I think that I believe that the Bible or Jesus taught that. I think you, many of you are familiar with the term greatest commandment. The greatest commandment says agape God with everything you got and agape your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said that everything in the Bible hangs on this. And so it is the principle by which we ought to view sin and everything else. Because everything that the Bible is trying to tell us to do hangs on agape. And it's not just from that passage, it's everywhere. Uh, Romans 13, as I talked about, uh, all the commands in the Bible are summed up in this one principle, agape. Uh, also, uh, Galatians talks about the uh, only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through agape. God is agape. First John says that anyone who does agape knows God, is born of God, and anyone who does not do agape does not know God. So it seems to me the Bible is very clear that agape is the one crystal principle that is the razor that decides everything, everything in faith and God in life and especially as it regards sin, uh, because it really connects to the Genesis 3 as well. It, it is the opposite of tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because when you think about it, right, if unconditional mindset, if you think of yourself as unconditionally worth the life of God incarnate, and every other human being is the same way, from that faith, that belief system, if you try to live your life from that belief system and you try to become the person of agape, everything changes. Everything that you think about and do starts to change. And that changes the conditional mindset, which says that if I do good things, then I'm something worth something. If I become the President of the United States, then I'm worthy. If I get this promotion, then I'm worthy. If I'm with this beautiful woman, then I'm worthy. If I do this, then I'm worthy. I think that is the natural way for people to think. Uh, but that goes to conditional mindset and tree of knowledge of good and evil, doesn't it? And if the Bible is teaching us that is the root of all sin, then agape, this unconditional mindset that comes from the cross, that our worth and acceptance before God is not about what we do and anything to do with our condition, but it comes from God. It is unconditionally and freely given. If we take that in, then it counteracts that conditional mindset. It's the antidote. 
And so from Christian faith, it is a beautiful closure of the fall of humanity to look at the cross as the tree of life. And that's why agape is an animating principle for Christians. Thank you, Charles, and thank you for that question. If you have any other questions about sin, please feel free to send them in as we continue the discussion. Um, so I, some people talk about sin as something that separates us from God. I wonder if you can talk about a little bit about that and um, how do we kind of move towards taking in the agape perspective? Yes, I, I absolutely agree. I think sin does separate us from God, but not in the way that a lot of people think about. It's not arbitrarily uh, done by God. Oh, like God is up there, we are down here, and God is looking at us, and we mess up, so God says, oh, you can't be in my presence, I'm holy, get out of here. That's how people think of how sin separates us from God. But if you look at the Bible, and you look at Genesis 3, this taking of tree of knowledge of good and evil separated us from God because the second thing that happens is that Adam and Eve represented humanity, they hide from God. They are the ones that are separating themselves from God because they are seeing God as unsafe. They think of God as unsafe. They are applying the knowledge of good and evil safe and unsafe, better and worse, to God now. That's the second thing that that chapter describes. And they see God. Before this, they would walk with God like they were best buddies in the afternoon. And in that same hour, and that's very poetic and poignant, because at that hour when God and human beings used to walk together, they hide from God. It's like, when you see like someone that used to be your best friend walking down the street and you see them and they haven't seen you yet, they are like on the other side of the street, but something happened and like you don't feel good about them anymore, you just slip into a store or something because you don't want to deal with them. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens in this Genesis 3. And so what does that say? That says that they have judged God as unsafe. They don't feel safe anymore. It's awkward. And so this conditional mentality separates us from God because we are judging God <laughs> uh, as opposed to the common conception. And the third thing that happens, of course, is that Adam the man says, the woman you put here caused all the problems. When God asks, what happened here? Right? So when you think about that, the women you put here caused all the problems. Just, just think about that for a moment. The man is judging both God and women, right? There's a lot of blame and alienation and disconnection going on here. This is how sin separates you. Because when you start judging yourself, you're separated from yourself. When you start judging others, you're separated from others. You start judging God, you're separated from God and reality and whatever. So then you become like in a relational black hole where you are like alienated from everything out there. And that's what hell is, I think, the Bible is describing. 
that's what starts happening. And hell is not something that just happens after death. I think the Bible is describing, well, that's what got them out of Eden, uh, the paradise, where everything was connected. It's the human beings that got them out with all this disconnection that is shown by their reaction to everything around them. And so, yeah, sin does separate us from not just from God, but from ourselves and everyone else as well. Because once you start treating people like objects to be used and manipulated for your pleasure, then you demean yourself as well as a human being. And that's just a very alienating and disconnecting way of living life. So I guess my, like one of our last questions is kind of, what are we supposed to do about sin in our lives and in the world? Um, some Christian perspectives kind of, when you're using the code mentality, they'll kind of be like, okay, we'll just avoid all of these things, all of the code, that's your way of avoiding sin. But if it's through the agape perspective, it sounds a little more nuanced and challenging. So how do we kind of right. pursue that? So we're going from the code to the principles behind the code, or the principle behind the code, just as the Bible would say. I think a lot of Christians get taught that we have to change the world, we have to change ourselves, and what is meant by that is we have to follow the code better uh, and convert others to following our code. And religions fight with each other by you know, fighting over whose code is better and whose code is really divine and which code that people should be really following. And that all seems very tree of knowledge of good and evil-ish to me. <laughs> the whole endeavor seems very Genesis 3, fall. So I would advise not to get involved in that kind of endeavor whatsoever. I would say that's not even neutral. I would say that's actually going towards darkness because that seems very Genesis 3. <laughs> and so if you look at it from that point of view, then agape. Well, first, to ourselves, let's become people of grace, right? So it's agape your neighbor as yourself, right? A lot of people take pride in being very harsh towards yourself. Like they say things like, oh, you know, I am judgmental, but I'm harsher towards myself than anybody else. As if that gives you an excuse or like that's, the, that's a good thing to do. I would say that's very sinful because that's conditional mentality. That's very uh, true about knowledge of good and evil towards yourself and others. Be nice to yourself because if you are not agape yourself, you cannot agape your neighbor because it's agape your neighbor as yourself. If you're very harsh towards yourself, then you cannot obey the greatest commandment. And then that means you're not following Jesus' uh, greatest commandment that everything else hangs on, then nothing you do is worth anything. And so that's very important to like, I mean, I know I'm coming across very uh, definitive and kind of dramatic, but I really believe that. This is the greatest commandment. We need to take that seriously. And so be kind. Don't be so harsh. Um, when you fail, you just failed. You're not a failure, right? So yeah, when you fail, think about why you failed and think about how you can do better. 
that's a good thing to do. But don't let that get to you. And what people usually mean by that is don't let that get you down as if you are a failure. And you're never going to amount to anything. Not everybody thinks that you are no good. I am no good. Why should I take up the space that I'm taking up? I'm not worth the food I'm eating. These kinds of thoughts are way too common. It gets into people's heads. But that's negating the grace of God, isn't it? Jesus Christ died for you. God incarnate saw fit to see that you are so worthy and valuable that God decided to die for you. If we believe that, then our worth can never be challenged. It's secure. It's rock solid. And so, yeah, we have to separate performance from our worth, from who we are, from what we do. And so from inside, we need to start changing how we approach life. Um, and then in the world, we have to start seeing from the mentality of what is agape, what is unconditional, and what is conditional. Well, you know, conditional reward for conditional performance, that's fine. You know, that's at the conditional uh, performance level. But when it translates to how people's worth are treated, like, you know, slavery, for example, if your skin was dark, then your worth was nothing. It's not just that they were not performing well, it's just that just because their skin was dark, which is a condition, then you're an animal. You're no longer a human being. That's a conditional mindset. That has to be fought. Then we have to go out there in the world and look at how conditional the world is and how people are treating other people, whether from conditional mentality, tree of knowledge of good and evil, or from the cross. And we have to become an activist to bring the world towards agape. And I do think the Spirit of God has been at work for thousands of years to move us. Because 2,000 years ago, men and women, there was a lot of difference in how they were treated just because women were inherently seen as being worth almost nothing. Or Jew or Gentile, believe or not, infidels. Infidels you can kill as an act of service to God. That is sin and evil. You know, there is no believer or infidel in Christ Jesus, as Galatians would tell us, or free or slave. That kind of mentality calls us to fight that kind of conditional, systematic, structural problems in the world. And so we are called to fight that. Um, we are called to do our part in pointing those problems out and supporting and banding together to make sure that the, uh, we have equal rights, uh, no matter what condition you are in, man, male, female, gender, race, economic, free or slave, whatever condition there is, we have to fight to make sure that everyone's worth is recognized and treated equally in that way. Well, I think that is a great place to end this conversation. Thank you so much, Charles, for all of your wonderful insights. Um, and I want to say thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the discussion. 
please join us again the same time next week, uh, two o'clock Eastern time. Uh, next week, we'll be tackling impossible questions about the Bible. So if you have any questions about the Bible, please let us know by commenting um, on this in the chat or uh, by sending an email to allison at rivernyc.org. Um, and also, we would love it if you would like, subscribe, and share with your friends um, if you enjoyed uh, the discussion today. So we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Thank you.